Back to a Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we are going to have a very interesting show, and very timely, interestingly. We are in the middle of the New York primaries, and today, here at A Better World, I'll be interviewing no one other than the presidential candidate for the Green Party, who unfortunately is not on those ballots, but for any number of reasons cannot be part of this primary season, at least in New York. So um, it's interesting, and again, it's always a study of opposites and paradoxes here. A little bit about Dr. Jill Stein, who will be with us momentarily. Uh, Jill Stein was the Green Party's candidate in 2012, as well as now. In fact, she was on A Better World Radio back then as well. She's an organizer, a physician, and a pioneering environmentalist and health advocate. She has led many initiatives promoting healthy communities, local green economies, and the revitalization of democracy, addressing health issues such as campaign finance reform, green jobs, racially just redistricting, and the cleanup of incinerators, coal plants, and toxics. She was a principal organizer for the Global Climate Convergence for People, Planet, and Peace Over Profit. Dr. Jill Stein is a mother, a physician, a longtime teacher of internal medicine, and pioneering environmental health advocate. Her, quote, Healthy People, Healthy Planet teaching program reveals the links between human health, climate security, and green economic revitalization. This body of work has been presented at government, public health, and medical conferences and has been used to improve public policy. In 1998, when she realized that politicians were simply not acting to protect children from the toxic threats emerging from current science, she offered her services to parents, teachers, community groups, and Native Americans, a Native American group in particular, seeking to protect their communities from toxic exposure. As mentioned, Jill was a guest on A Better World back in April 2012 during that election cycle, and we're very glad to have her back on again today. Um, I just want to just make sure, because we were dealing with a few um, little issues, and uh, yes, we are technically in good shape, and Jill is with us right now. Jill, hi. Welcome back to A Better World. Pleasure to have you. It's great to be with you, Mitchell. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, It's been, my gosh, four years. We've gone through a lot in these four years. I so wish you might have become president back then. What a different world we'd be looking at now. I think it's certainly vindicated um, everything that we've been fighting for and, you know, reason to to push on. Uh, We're given a thousand reasons why... You know, we the people uh, should go home and, you know, uh, lie down on the railroad tracks, basically. That's you know, <laughs> something think, like that, right? Well, it's very, very. That's what it amounts to. Yeah. What's that? It's very sad in that, uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, Jill, that the Green Party and other third parties are essentially um, virtually by design. Um, 
excluded from the entire electoral process. And, of course, you're engaged, but you're doing so far away from mainstream media. Thank God for alternative media, such as A Better World and PRN and Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! and, thankfully, a number of others. So how, if you would, because our audience may not know much about the Green Party, how would you describe how it is distinguished from the other parties? Well, you know, the most important distinguishing factor that really um, pervades everything is that we are the one national party that is not poisoned by corporate money. Um, And there are other small, um, good parties with real integrity out there, but none have managed to survive on a national basis. So when it comes to things like presidential elections, and actually, for the most part, even statewide elections for Senate and Congress, we're the one political party that's actually standing up for what it is that uh, we the people need and what we want. So we don't take money from predatory banks or fossil fuel giants or war profiteers. We're here to lift up the solutions we could have right now. So the Green Party, you know, if you were to summarize in a motto, uh, it's people, planet, and peace over profit. Uh, We can have all of those things. In fact, we can't just have one without having all the others. They're far too interconnected. And we put in the profit piece because right now we have a system which is driven by profit and to the detriment of people, an economy that serves us, our health, uh, a school system, a generation of young people who are locked into debt, uh, whether you're looking at the planet and the collapse of the climate and the desperate circumstances of our ecosystem, uh, and, and peace. We have expanding wars right now. In fact, these wars for oil, so-called wars on terror, only make the terror problem worse. So we have a system right now which is um, working against us, not working for us, the ones who are benefiting, you know, are the very few at the very top who are making out like bandits, those 20 billionaires in the U.S. that now have the wealth equivalent to 50%, uh, the poorer 50% of the population. You know, this is outrageous, uh, a climate which is literally in collapse as we speak. So this is the time for us to stand up, and the Green Party is the one that will stand up with the real solutions that we can have right now. Now, thank you. Do you believe that we could have a system of profit based on profit, as our economic model obviously is and has been from the beginning, um, and yet also moderate and balance these other very important, vitally important points of uh, a government for the people, peace, um, and care for the planet? Is it possible to still have a system based on profit from your point of view? Well, you know, right now profit trumps all. And unfortunately, uh, that was a very bad point. <laughs> but yes, I understand. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, this is, this is the logical conclusion of where you go with a profit based system because it, it allows those who have money and power to acquire more money and power. You know, we fundamentally need a a democracy that is, you know, not only a democracy in our government, but an economic democracy as well, because you cannot have governmental democracy when your economy is 
one of tyranny when you have, you know, a, 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 a what, tiny. What would that look like? What would what would that that proposal? I mean, it's very interesting, and it's a very yeah. good point you're making about this contrast between, let's say, governmental democracy and economic uh, tyranny. How would you bridge that gap? How what would need to take place that would modify and moderate? Yeah. Well, let me be very concrete because. You know, when you take on big system change issues, they can seem so far away that it becomes really quite uh, either hopeless or an academic exercise. So I would like to just start where we go from here to get there. And there are actually some really powerful, um, staggering opportunities in front of us right now. You know, and we see some of the, you know, we see the wave of discontent. Uh, that's reflected both in the Sanders campaign and in the Trump campaign, for that matter. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, these are all part of uh, the the American population that's been thrown under the bus. So, you know, people are really hurting. We don't have the jobs. The jobs that have come back are part-time and temporary. Average wages are barely above poverty. A generation is locked in debt. 35% of people who have credit cards are actually in collection, not only in debt, but in collection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the, the foreclosure crisis goes on. Uh, we have, you know, earth to, um, you know, earth to uh, uh, the moon. We have a real... Uh, critical problem here. And so it's important to note that there's an enormous, um, you know, momentum for change. In the words of Alice Walker, the biggest way people give up power is by not knowing we have it to start with. 50% of Mm. voters now have divorced the Democratic and Republican parties because we've been so badly beat up by them year after year after year after year. And it's easy to you know, blame it all on the Republicans, which is what many Democrats would like to do. But that's really kind of selective amnesia, because if you look at what's gone on over the the Obama years, including when we had two Democratic houses of Congress, uh, we, you know, we bailed out the banks. That was the priority of the Obama administration to the tune yes. of 16 trillion and counting. Uh, we yes. massively increased the wars. Uh, you know, the drone wars, the attack on our civil liberties, the deportation of, of immigrants, the massive prison industrial complex. You know, I think the, the take home message here is that corporate sponsored politics does not serve us. And I want to make one more point, which is not only that there is a revolt, there is a revolt which is in full swing, which the Democrats are not going to allow. They have a kill switch. They've, you know, they marginalize uh, campaigns of integrity, and we're seeing that play out again, unfortunately, as the Sanders campaign uh, is uh, under attack by the Democratic Party and the establishment yeah. right now, and its chances of prevailing you know, are diminishingly small, and a lot of people are waking up to that. Um, you know, so there is this revolt. It's not going to be captured, or shall we say, it's not going to be nourished and 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 uh, propagated by uh, politics as we know it, corporate politics. But listen to this amazing resource that we have. There are 43 million young people who are locked in predatory student loan debt for whom there is no escape. 
Um, there is only one political party, and there will be one candidate on the ballot, and you're listening to her right now, who will cancel student mm-hmm. debt. We did it for the bankers who crashed the economy. It's about time we do it for the young people who are the victims of that waste, fraud, and abuse on Wall Street. And we Good can point. do this through a quantitative easing, and it can be done basically on presidential uh, discretion by virtue of appointment of the Federal Reserve. So it doesn't have to go through Congress. We can actually mm-hmm. abolish debt basically upon the day of taking office. And uh, mm-hmm. not only is this something we can do, but 43 million young people is a winning plurality of the vote. So how do we get the word out? Well, you know, we have, uh, we have lawsuits, and stand by, there will be direct action to open up the debates, like the 1,200 valiant people, courageous people who were uh, arrested over the past week protesting money in, in politics. Uh, there's in another Washington. campaign coming up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there's another cause for civil disobedience coming up, which is to open up our debates. We will keep fighting that fight, but even if we don't win that, we have the Internet, and mobilizing on the Internet, who is more you know, positioned to do that than the, uh, the millennial generation, the debtor generation, and they've mobilized before to stop the Keystone Pipeline, to, um, you know, to delay the TPP, which we've stopped you know, really for yeah. a year, uh, to save yeah. the Internet and to stop privatization. So bottom yeah. line is this is a package that could actually take us all the way to the White House. If the word gets out among that younger, desperate generation, which is really hungry for real solutions, you don't have to work too hard to persuade young people in debt that they can actually go out, vote green, and get their lives back right now. You know, in November of 2016, you can get your life back. And that um, momentum can be used not only for justice for students, but also, who's leading the charge here, you know, on climate justice and on um, Black Lives Matter and labor justice? You know, it's young people sure. who are the uh, engine of social transformation. And by ending student debt, we basically enable young people to re-engage, to come back from those two and three part-time low-wage jobs that they're working just to keep a, a roof over their heads. We can basically bring the younger generation back to help lead the charge on this agenda of justice that we must have if we are going to survive, not only into the next century, but into the next couple of decades. Yes, that, it's agreed, and I, I, I like the platform very much. I want to bring something to bear here, talking about being concrete. The points you made about the way uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign is virtually being deep-sixed by the corporate Mm -hmm. Democrats. And one, if one were listening and just learning about the Green Party and Jill Stein for the first time here, uh, they would say, my gosh, a lot of what you're saying, Jill, is very similar to, um, in some ways, virtually identical to uh, some of the points that Bernie Sanders has been making for the past, you know, six or eight months, uh, having to do with student debt, wiping it out, and uh, your point of view on the banks, etc. So if he, in his position, uh, and he's more on the inside, so to speak, is being deep-sixed, if you will, how do you see a vote for Jill Stein turning that around if he's as close as he is, and even here in New York, 
there has been a loss of seven percent of democratically uh, of democratic voters that are now off the voting rolls. That was just discovered. I think it's just another uh, manipulation. But here, even in New York City and New York State, this kind of um, corruption is going on. How would you see yourself being able to surpass what has already been showing itself? Great, you know, great point. And um, that is exactly why, in my view, you know, um, you can't have a revolution in a counter-revolutionary party because the party will deep-six you. The party mm. controls access to the media, controls access, well, particularly to the debates. They control the database. You know, they have all kinds of ways that they can sabotage. And this is what yes. the Democratic Party does. We saw that happen they a few months back, to- right. And and even, you know, Dennis Kucinich, he got redistricted by the party. Howard Dean had a a PR smear campaign launched against him when, as a peace candidate, he was threatening the system, the so-called Dean scream. Same same thing for Jesse Jackson, who had a PR smear campaign launched against him. So this is what the Democratic Party does. It fakes left. It allows these very inspired candidates with a real politics of integrity to be seen and heard but then it marginalizes them before they can really get the traction that they need they're not allowed to deliver and instead you know unfortunately bernie has pledged allegiance to hillary maybe he'll change his mind but what happens then is that all the momentum and all the steam that you build and your database and your fundraising list it gets rolled over back into the democratic party and inside the party which is still you know look at where its leadership is they are all lining up behind hillary bernie hardly hardly has any members of congress behind him because the machine is very co-opted So they're going to devour the resources here, and the identity of the movement will be lost inside of the Democratic Party. So for many people, my campaign is is plan B for Bernie, Mm -hmm. so that when the Democratic Party shafts him, there is a place to go because that movement has done such wonderful work and has done such a great job of lifting up these issues. Um, It shouldn't throw in the towel. It should not allow itself that is a very interesting point. So we are here as a national campaign. Yes. I really like that. We are here as Plan B. Yes, exactly. I really like that. That's Yes. Now, you know, honestly, uh, just based on the layout, you know I'm a great uh, supporter of third parties and third party candidacy and um, a political system that includes numerous parties, not just the the standard conventional duopoly, uh, because we've known each other for some time. However, uh, you know, I would still, based on what I see now, and I feel that Bernie is wonderful domestically, but not so great Mm -hmm. uh, internationally, and that'll be another subject. But for you, I would Mm -hmm. love to see him. I say so many women say they want to have a woman president. And I say, well, (laughs) how about a woman vice president to start with. (laughs) I would love to see you as the uh, vice presidential candidate for Bernie Sanders. What do you think about that? We've been, well, we've actually been putting out um, messages all over the place 
um, to let Bernie know that we think it's really important to think outside of the box right now. You know, this is Good. this is the Hail Mary moment. We have, you know, an economy that's teetering on the brink again, which is already, yes. you know, a colossal failure for working people. But, you know, we're on the verge of the next Wall Street meltdown. You know, whether you're looking at the climate or the expanding wars or, you know, or the prison industrial uh, surveillance Complex. state, you know. Yes. It's the it's the hail mary moment, and and it's really important for us to stand up, and I think to think outside the box. And so we've been trying to get in touch with Bernie to discuss this because there are many possibilities here, and you know the the yes. most likely one is that he's going to be edged out. And what happens to his campaign? Would he you know would he consider some kind of out of the box collaboration? And you know I don't want to raise too many expectations before. We actually have a conversation with Bernie, and yes. uh, for anybody out there who has um, a connection to Bernie, we've been trying to reach him actually for years, but really? Bernie is a team player, and his team, as of, you know, since he's been in Washington, his team has been the Democratic Party, and, you know, this is unfortunate because the Democratic Party has kind yes. of um, given up the goat. Um, but it's not too well, late. I think he was I mean, an independent, actually, for a good part of his um, years of service, of government service. He was an independent, not Democrat. That was of relatively recent import. Uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So he's got to remember yeah. this stuff. And I think his positions have actually improved over the course of the campaign. If he were not yes. constrained by the party, I think he would be doing the right thing. But right now he has to toe the party line on a number of issues. And in addition yes. to the foreign policy issues, you have the whole issue of high-stakes testing, where he's also been towing the party line, unfortunately, and supporting this whole you know, uh, infrastructure of high-stakes testing, which has been used really uh, as an excuse for closing schools and privatizing them and attacking yeah, teachers. And it's a terrible system for education altogether. Yes, you know, indeed. I think Bernie could see the light on that and uh, likewise on, on foreign policy, that we need a foreign policy uh, based on international law, human rights, and diplomacy across the board. Period. End of sentence. You know. Um, yeah, I Bernie wanted to has bring been that reluctant up. to stand up on that. Yes, Sorry, go I, ahead. I agree. I, I'd like to actually go back for a moment, Jill, to look sure. at uh, a wonderful proposal of former Representative Dennis Kucinich's of a Department of Peace, which resonated in people's like your and my ears and uh, those that we know and love uh, very deeply. And I'm wondering. If let's just remove the obstacles for a moment and say that uh, a presidential candidate such as yourself for the Green Party was really able to be a, a very serious contender. In my heart, you are. However, in on the on the larger stage, and uh, in such a, how would you begin to navigate the rough terrain we now see in Syria, Iraq, um, the Middle East? Would you go step by step and give me some idea and sure. where you stand and what, how you would regard the situations? And, and just first, let me preface it saying, don't let them talk you out of your power. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not holding my breath that we are going to win it, but I wouldn't rule it out. There are outrageous sure. Wild things that have been happening in this election, and yes, we 
they're not over. <laughs> they're they're not why, over. Oh, no, I, I want to really support that comment. I, I actually look at right. it from the point of view of physics, uh, even Newtonian, but especially yes. quantum physics, that mm-hmm. the world and life is precipitous and things are ever-changing mm-hmm. and there's a major pendulum swinging everywhere. And uh, so I wholly right. hold that to be a possibility. So, you know, that's and, what and we believe exactly. at A Better World. Please yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> and, and remember, there are we have a winning plurality here if we can simply get the word out to young people in debt. You don't have mm-hmm. to change their mind. You know, they are there right. ready to not just to sign up, but to become missionaries. And they are turning yeah. out all over the place on our campaign trail. So, you know, I would say if you're frustrated with the way the world is going, go mobilize 10 people you know who are, who are holding student debt and encourage each of them to mobilize 10 people that they know. Yes. And to go to our website, jill2016.com, because this is where we are organizing. And we could, in fact, you know, in the blink of an eye, we really could create an unstoppable ground force that could happen because young people are networked on social media. So just, you know, just have Okay, a, you know what? Let, let's uh, stick with that for a before going go to your, Before going to foreign yes, policy, let, let's stick with that because okay. that, that's very, very germane. Right. And I'd love to yeah. hear what you have to say, um, not just the rhetoric and, and the momentum, which I love, but also just on the ground – what kind of numbers mm-hmm. do you see yourself generating across the country? What kind of following, and what's the demographic? So I'll tell you, our events now are mobbed, and this has never happened before. And they're mobbed really? with young people, so it's hard to find a gray hair of head in the room, um, <laughs> or I should say a gray, head, a of, gray hair, head right. of hair in the room, except my own. Oh, my God, um, it's that young. Wow, I love it. Yes, yeah. it is that young. These are like these are high school students that are turning up. They are college students, and they are people who couldn't afford to go to college. And it's like a revival meeting. I must tell you, it is like a revival meeting because mm-hmm. for young people, this is not an academic issue. This is a question of whether they have yeah. a life ahead of them or not. Um, if I were in their shoes, I don't know how I would get out of bed in the morning. Having holding fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars worth of debt and with no job to show for it. And I hear these incredible sob stories with the sobs that go with them all the time. And you know, I I feel as a mother, as a parent, you know, I feel utterly compelled uh to liberate this generation that has been utterly abused. What society has ever survived by uh, devouring their young because that's what our economy yes. is doing now. You know, it is essentially eating the younger generation, uh, squeezing every last uh, drop of money and blood and life out of them for the sake of profit. You know, throughout the 20th century, we provided a high school education in order to give kids some security. You don't just throw your child into the ocean and hope that they can swim. You teach them yeah. to swim before they go into the ocean. But, you know, yeah. now we're putting so a coming, tag on Coming that. back, I, I completely agree. I, I, are you seeing, you're seeing virtually all younger people, but there are also, you know, what we refer to as the hippie generation, which I think you and I are part of, uh, that are also very advanced forward progressive thinkers. Um, are you seeing any representation in that demographic? Oh, definitely. 
Yes, and, you know, I think the folks all across, all demographics, are being hurt by the economy. You know, the 1% is not showing up. They're definitely not there. But I would say everybody else is because everybody else really is being thrown under the bus. But it's young people who don't need persuading. They, you know, when the word gets out, and right now the campuses are very, um, what shall we say, there's a lot of Bernie action going on at the campuses, and we have only, this week, um, we have only um, begun, well, in fact, we don't have the check yet, but we have word from yeah. on high that the money will be coming from the feds for our, quali- our matching funds soon. So suddenly oh, we can nice. staff up. There are thousands of people who have signed up on our website to volunteer, and many of them are young people who are looking to organize on their campuses. So, you know, we are chomping at the bit to be able to start doing that. Um, And this will be a first, you know, for a Green Party or any small independent third party to actually have an on-the-ground organizing campaign, and I encourage any listeners out there to sign up, you know, at our website, go to our, our Twitter page, uh, at Dr. Jill Stein, and that's DR with no period. We have a very active Twitter campaign, in fact, as well as uh, Facebook. So there are many ways you can uh, you can connect and start helping to get the word out because news that young people can save themselves and the rest of us <laughs> by canceling their debt in November of 2016, it spreads like a wildfire, and especially as Bernie encounters increasing, you know, sabotage from the Democratic Party. There are a lot of angry people who are looking for another place to fight this fight. You know, who, in fact, many of the um, Bernie or Bust supporters now, you know, their their mantra used to be that if the Democrats weren't going to nominate Bernie, that they would write in his name. Uh, but unfortunately, that write-in doesn't get counted. And now many of them are saying, well, if Bernie doesn't get nominated, uh, then they're coming over to our campaign. And I think there are enough of us, remember that, there are enough of us that can actually make that happen. And so it's students who are always leading the charge for transformational change. And that who, that's who is beginning to dominate um, in our campaign trail and in many of the parties, the Green parties. This is like a whole new, um, you know, a whole new revitalization uh, of the Green Party. Yes. Now, let's. This is so important, and I, I definitely do want to get to foreign policy so I can see how your head works with it and how the Green Party operates Great. in regard to it. However, uh, you're now, by implication, bringing up the subject of campaign reform, finance reform across the board, because what we're looking at is, as we know, mm-hmm. going back to 2000, the popular vote doesn't count for much, i.e., the popular vote, that means the vote of the people, does not elect mm-hmm. our president, but delegates mm-hmm. do, who are sometimes bought and paid for, just like the politicians they represent in one way or another, be it money, favor, mm-hmm. uh, power, any number of prestige, etc., many different types of payment. And we know mm-hmm. that Gore won, as an example, Jill, the popular vote mm-hmm. in the year 2000, mm-hmm. and we know that he also won uh, the votes in Florida, and we also know that the Supreme Court, which has jurisdiction over so much, does not have jurisdiction over who becomes president, yet they are the ones mm-hmm. who appointed G.W. Bush president. 
in light of mm-hmm. these very, very undemocratic, unethical, corrupt, and disturbing facts to any human being, how do you see moving forward in this real climate which exists today? Great, great, wonderful question. And let me say first that if our campaign was to prevail and we wound up in the White House, we would have an army of grassroots supporters. So it would be a very different climate. But let's, let's not count on that. And let's just ask this question more generically. How do we prevail when we're in a system which really is in the stranglehold of big money? Whether you look yeah. at the revolving door between corporations and appointments or between corporations, you know, not only our regulatory agencies and so on, sure. but elected office. You know, they just they move. And it's the yeah. power of money. It's also ballot access, uh, which uh, basically uh, keeps uh, political opposition off the ballot. You know, we talk about being a democracy. Well, hello, yeah. you know, it's not a democracy when political <laughs> opposition doesn't even have a voice from the get-go. Right. But there, there's, let me say there, there, are, there are simple solutions to all of this. For example, on the issue of spoiling the vote, you know, splitting the vote, um, mm-hmm. keeping people from running because they might uh, create a mathematical, um, you know, problem, which is a terrible way. You know, democracy needs values. It needs a moral compass. We should be yes. able to use our vote to guide our democracy. So the, yes. uh, the, the, pol- the predatory political system relies on two things. One is uh, silence, you know, and they silence us. They silence political resistance. They keep us out of the media, out of the debates, off the ballot, etc. So silence yes. is one thing, and fear is the other. And the fear, the silence thing we can begin to overcome by virtue of the Internet, basically, because, you know, when we mobilize, we win, you know, whether it's to save the Internet, to stop the uh, Syria bombing campaign in 2013, uh, to stop Mm -hmm. the Keystone Pipeline. When we organize, we win. Uh, When we overcome that that propaganda of powerlessness. Um, And the Internet is a very powerful tool for overcoming silence. But the issue of fear is something I think is really important for everybody to take a good hard look at because this spoiler fear, you know, the idea that you have to vote against your fears rather than for your values. Look where this has taken us. This politics of fear has delivered everything you were afraid of. All the reasons you were told that you had to vote for the lesser evil, you know, because you didn't want the massive bailouts for Wall Street, the offshoring of our jobs, the attack on our civil liberties, uh, the meltdown of the climate, um, you name it, you know, the massive expansion of the wars, all those things that you didn't want from a George Bush type guy. You know, unfortunately, we got from a very lovely personality in the White House under the Democratic banner in the White House and two Democratic houses of Congress. If you actually compare head to head on what George Bush did, you know, $700 billion in bailouts for Wall Street, well, it doesn't hold a candle to the $6 trillion in bailouts for Wall Street under Obama. Um, you know, the immigrants that were deported under Bush doesn't hold a candle to, you know, the millions that have been deported and the night raids that are taking place right now. You know, it's just outrageous, um, the human rights abuses that are going on under the Obama administration. Likewise, the expanding war. Yeah, well, uh, George Bush got us into some of this. However, 
you know, Obama fought tooth and nail to keep us there. He wasn't the, you know, the the peace, um, you know, proponent that he appeared to be. He was fighting tooth and nail to extend the immunity for U.S. soldiers, which uh, George Bush had agreed to a deadline for. You know, not to mention that, that under Obama, and the democratic regime, we then continued, you know, we, we surged into Afghanistan, you know, we've continued this disastrous foreign policy, which has massively expanded now. So the point being, you know, the lesser evil here has proven uh, equally problematic, maybe not so on some social issues, but if you want to have a job, if you want to save your life, or if you want to save the planet, um, you know, the Democratic Party, the lesser evil is not going to do it for you. Um, you know, the, the lesser evil in addition, really important to think about this. It paves the way to the greater evil, whether you look at what happened in Congress, how Congress flipped from Democrat to Republican, or you could look at the state of Illinois or the state of Wisconsin or just about any of the other states. When you get lesser evils into office, people stop coming out to vote. And the base won't vote. We saw this very clearly in 2014 when the Democratic base, that is labor and young people and women and Latinos, did not come out to vote for Democratic candidates. And that's how the second House of Congress, the Senate, flipped, you know, as well as many um, state offices. So it's a fallacy. It is a propaganda campaign that tells you that anything other than your moral vision, you know, we say – Forget the lesser evil. We've got to fight for the greater good, like our lives depend on it, because they do. If we don't do it, nobody's going to do it for us, and this is the Hail Mary moment. We can't keep going down this failed strategy of lesser evilism, of, you know, of silencing yourself. That's what they rely on. They rely on fear. Remember, under Richard Nixon, one of the most repressive and corrupt presidents ever, what did we achieve? the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act. We brought the troops home from Vietnam. We told the Supreme Court. We, the people, got out and demonstrated. And we told the Supreme Court that it needed to support women's right to choose. So a conservative Supreme Court did that. This notion that we have to sacrifice our values so that we can get a Democrat in office who will appoint the right Supreme Court, that is totally upside down, uh, destructive. That is making yourself a stooge of the predator political parties that want to use you and use your vote as a weapon against yourself to keep the predators in power. Forget what they're saying. It's time for us to stand up. We need an attitude of defiance out there in the street and in the voting booth. That's how we begin to move forward. It's as simple as flicking the switch in your own mind from powerless to powerful and we can begin to take our democracy back, our future back, our climate, our economy, our, our world order based on human rights and international law. We have everything to gain, but we have everything to lose if we continue down this pathway of certain destruction. As someone said, Jill, that was beautifully put. Thank you for that. Uh, that uh, <laughs> even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. So, you know, your <laughs> your point about you, – you answered a question that I had, which is sort of the underpinning of everything, which is what has happened to our culture? It has disintegrated. And what mm-hmm. another way of putting that is that mm-hmm. the human mind here in America, the American mind and 
slash culture has disintegrated. It has stopped trusting in its own creativity and powerfulness, as mm-hmm. you well put it, and mm-hmm. its own potential. So we're always looking at the glass half empty. That's the, the evil conversation. Again, if you're mm-hmm. voting for the lesser of two mm-hmm. evils, as the phrase has it, you're still agreeing mm-hmm. that both parties are evil. So, you know, that's still the rat race. It doesn't win. It, there's nothing new or creative in it. Whereas, honestly, what you're doing here with the Green Party, and in many ways, Bernie, although I see you as way more progressive overall, uh, and the Green Party is, because it remains steadfast to a positive vision. It's not just debunking, or I guess I should say debanking the banks, but, you know, because that's, <laughs> there's a negative in that. But there's, it has to, it really require an entire reorganization. And that begins with our minds and our ability, as you well put it, to deal with and wrestle down this fear-based politics and fear-based living, which we are all propagandists yeah. dies by with mm-hmm. the whole so-called war on terrorism, etc. So, uh, no, I mean, it's just a way of saying I I really corroborate your, your points because there is a major reorganization on, you know, some say transformation that needs to take mm-hmm. place. Um, exactly. With that said, can we now let's move to foreign policy and we can of course come Can back I just to that. make a quick can I just offer yes, a quick observation because I so agree with sure. you. In in yes. many ways, you know, I feel like what we are doing right now, this conversation, this national conversation that's being held, you know, in many ways what we're doing is like it's group therapy, it's political therapy. Yes. It's helping right. us it's helping our friends and each other break up with an abusive relationship. And your world is transformed when you manage to do that. Some people are not ready to do that, and they will keep making excuses for their abuser, and their lives will suffer immeasurably because of that. And, you know, we are sort of in an abusive relationship right now with corporate political parties that are massively abusing us on on every score, and our lives are imperiled on that account. But if people can find a way to walk away or to help their friends walk away from this abusive relationship. It's like the world becomes transformed and it becomes a creative and healthy place in which we still have all the resources we need and all the solutions at hand to actually, you know, uh, revive our economy, uh, turn the tide on climate change, make the wars for oil obsolete, you know, create 100% renewable energy by 2030, yeah. health care is a human right, uh, free public higher education, cancel student debt. These are all things we can do, and, and it's like a virtuous circle. The more you do the right thing, the more right yeah. things you can do. So, you know, um, on to foreign yes. policy, you know, we, by moving to a green new... No, I have to let everybody know earth, that I have I have to do a little station identification here, just oh, to sure. let everyone know you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and occasionally other times as well throughout the day. We can always be listened to at abetterworld.tv in the radio archive. It's podcast. Listen to it whenever you would like. Please visit our website to get our free newsletter announcing our radio show and community television show here in the Big Apple at 
abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv, and become part of a better world community. Today, we're spending the entire show with Dr. Jill Stein, Green Party candidate. She is making clear, articulating the principles and the platform of the Green Party and why it is truly a viable choice in today's election cycle. So, Jill, it's just such a pleasure to have you on again and revisiting the humanitarian, green, sustainable Mm -hmm. values and principles of the Green Party. As you said, it really is national group therapy, and I don't know if you recall, but I am a psychotherapist, a holistic psychotherapist (laughs) at that, so this is music to my ears. (laughs) No, it really is. I I really do look at everything from this perspective, and I see it really coming to that point of our dealing with our codependence on a system that doesn't work, and we are enabling the system, and I very much appreciate your your call (laughs) to everybody to disengage from that enabling codependent role, and then we start to embrace a new beautiful (laughs) future. So with that said, uh, let's step into Iraq and Syria. (laughs) Okay. you, You know, it's a real world situation. You know, yeah. what what would you as Green Party presidential president do in regarding this uh, harrowing situation? Well, we created it, so yes. we can fix it. And let me give just a little detail. Um, and let me say, as an overarching, we need a foreign yes. policy based on international law, human rights, and diplomacy, not on economic and military domination. Because how's that working out for us exactly? We spent <laughs> right, not <a> mere, so good. <laughs> we've spent a mere six trillion dollars uh, on the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and that's according to a Harvard study just a couple of years ago. So it's, it's by the time we pay for um, you know health care and disability care for veterans, it's six trillion, which comes out to hold on to your hat. $75,000 per American household that we will be paying before this all is over. 75000 per household for these two wars, um, you know, but the whole lot of them. We've killed a million people in Iraq alone, not exactly winning the hearts and minds of the Middle East, and we have killed or maimed tens of thousands of U.S. soldiers. Um, and what do we have to show for that? We went to the mat. You know, we left no stone unturned to defeat terrorism after 9-11. What do we have to show for that? Worse, terrorist threats, mass refugee migrations, which are tearing apart uh, the EU, and terrorist threats that have only um, become magnified. So it's really, you know, we need a different way forward, not, the, not more of what has been a catastrophic failure. And it's like mind-boggling that anyone can be talked into this, uh, what I should say, is a marketing strategy for the war profiteers. They are the only ones who are benefiting here. We as Americans are not. No one around the world is. We're all struggling. The Americans have sold $100 billion approximately, a little bit less, over the last, well, over Obama's um, term administration to the Saudis. Now, you may have heard, there are these 28 pages from the 9-11 report, which, Mm -hmm. according to uh, Senator Robert 
uh, Graham, who headed that yes. commission. According to Senator Graham, these pages document the responsibility of the Saudis, including the Saudi government for 9-11, um, uh, which, which yes, sort of makes that. the point here. And, and these 28 pages, by the way, which have been redacted, are going to be released in the next month. So we're going to see some very heavy-duty rethinking going on here about U.S. foreign policy. It's important yes. to really step back and see the forest through the trees here because it's not only you know what the Saudis did on 9-11 and what they are doing with our assistance in Yemen yes. right now and what we have been doing together ever since the jihadi terrorist enterprise began. And you can trace that back to the Mujahideen, which we and the Saudis together uh, turned into with an international jihad. And we created the Taliban uh, in the process, or we massively magnified them, because we provided arming and we provided funding, and I believe the Saudis provided the training. At that time, we didn't do the training, but since then we have. You know, there, yeah. there's just this, this cloak-and-dagger game that goes on, which was all about making trouble for uh, the Soviet Union. And why were we making trouble for the Soviet Union? You know, the, the arms industry needs for us to have enemies. And, and you know, they continue to create them. You know, you, you, Russia in, in Ukraine is made out Ukraine. to be the enemy yeah. now, which is a, you know, a propaganda story in and of itself. So you tell uh, me that are you, I, I understand and appreciate the diagnosis. I've been diagnosing for many years, and I know you have as a okay. doctor as well. Uh, but what I want to know is, uh, is your proposal, if you were to become president, uh, or vice president for that matter, uh, would you simply tell the truth about these uh, the motivations, the military-industrial complex, for instance, the unholy alliance with Saudi Arabia, et cetera, et cetera, and use that as a means uh, and what the U.S. role has been in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, et cetera, et cetera. Or would, how would you approach this in disentangling us from these foreign wars and arrangements? So – you know, I think both go hand in hand. We have to tell the truth in order to motivate the real solutions that we have at hand right now. And I want to stress, we created this problem. We, we funded yes. it and we armed the terror threat. Uh, not only us, but we have been the major player here. And Russia, you know, who's maybe the second most involved here, but I'd include China as well. They're really not a major player. I don't believe in arming uh, Syria, et cetera. Um, but, you know, Russia, China, and the U.S. are the major, you know, we got the major military industrial complexes, but we're all going broke. We all have economies that are uh, in catastrophic shape right now. Yes. But the U.S. trumps all others. You know, you can add up all other military budgets together, and we're still bigger than all of them. So we yes. can lead the way here, and the others will benefit, too. We can lead the way. So, number one, we need a weapons embargo to the Middle East, and we can lead the charge here since we've been arming everybody. We can lead the charge. We need a weapons embargo because if you try to make sense of who the allies are, they're constantly shifting, you know, our allies as well. And the guys that are the good terrorists today are the, are the bad terrorists tomorrow. So we need sure. to just, like, stop. Stop taking a flamethrower 
to the Middle East. Let's just shut down the flow of weapons to all sides. We can do that. You know, that's the prelude to actually sitting down and making peace. Let's stop the flow of weapons. We can uh, shut. We can create the embargo and invite the uh, Russians and then others, including the Iranians, et cetera, to participate. But we are the major player. Number two is we can shut down the funding. Uh, we may not be funding that at this time, although you never know what the CIA is up to. But um, I'm not aware that we are actively funding uh, and training uh, terrorist groups. Um, well, actually, let me retract that because, you know, it's on again, off again about how we're working supposedly with the um, uh, with the rebels. And, and the rebels in Syria yes. include, you know, all kinds of nefarious uh, actors here. So yes. let's just say that we put on As was the case in Afghanistan we, as well. That's right. It sure is. Everywhere, you know, in, in, down yes. in, in Latin America. I mean, this is the U.S. Yes. playbook. Africa. Um, Absolutely. It's just the yeah. way it's just the way it goes. Yeah. yeah. Please go on. This is the way this is what evil looks like. You know, um, right. you know, once right. once your your cause becomes selling weapons or your cause becomes dominating economies and dominating fossil fuel supplies, you know, you are in for an unlivable world. And the blowback from that is so big now that we just can't do this anymore. You know, you can't put it in somebody else's backyard. The world has become a small place. So it's time for us all to step up to being a part of a global community. So that means not only international law and human rights, but but we can do very specific things in the Middle East, in Syria, in Iraq, about ISIS right now. We created ISIS. We can shut ISIS down with a weapons embargo, with a, uh, a freeze on the funding of all countries, including ours, that is going to the terrorists. So that includes definitely Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, probably others as well, uh, Qatar, maybe Turkey. Uh, and the CIA knows about this stuff, and they have to start coming clean on it. But countries who are put on notice, and we will put them on notice uh, if we were to get elected, or even as we begin to build power, we put them on notice that there's a new way forward here, and that that means stopping um, uh, the flow of money to terrorism. So that means we freeze the bank accounts. Hillary Clinton herself in 2009, wrote a State Department memo that acknowledged that the Saudis have not cleaned up their act, that they are still the major funder of jihadi um, Sunni terrorism around the globe. And remember, you know, they not only fund it, but they also started the madrasas, which is where everybody gets trained as a terrorist in Afghanistan and in Pakistan. So this stuff didn't come out of thin air. This was created largely by the Saudis and the CIA. That's that's what drove this stuff. So now we got a real problem. We got a Frankenstein here. We need to shut yes. down the weapons. We need to shut down the flow of money. We need for Turkey to close its border to the crossing of jihadi militias. They managed to do that to refugees from this problem. So how about we close down the border to the uh, jihadi terrorists who are causing uh, this problem together with us? But you know we can fix that. We can also stop the sale of oil. Of, uh, by ISIS, which is going to our allies and through our allies, including Israel and Turkey, for that matter. So these yes. are fixable, doable things. We've got to tell the truth, but then we can do them. And the American public has had enough of this war. You know, we're 44%, if I have the number correct, but it's, it's approximately that, and I'm pretty sure it is 44%, of your income tax dollars are going to war. And if yes. people knew the price tag that we are paying for this, yes. you know, they for would stop people. it in a heartbeat. Yeah. 
they would start. Well, it's top, also yeah. it's, uh, the military has been called a killing machine, and I think that it might yeah. be closer when you look at the dark money uh, at 60 cents of every dollar of our tax money mm-hmm. that is going to right. war in one form or another. But I hear what you're saying. I'm going to play mm-hmm. uh, another role right now and ask you this. Uh, I, I appreciate everything that you're putting on the table here very much and the perspective. Uh, unfortunately, uh, based on the uh, darker side of human nature, um, speaking the language of peace to other governments is perceived as a weakness at this point in time. And I really want to say that. It's, I, mm-hmm. I see it as a seasonal, cyclical matter. Um, but <laughs> as of right now, after all of the damage that we have fomented uh, the United States across the planet, we are, as you were saying before, Jill, at a very low rung of the ladder in world perception. So now, all of a sudden, after killing millions of people, destroying cultures, ancient ones like Iraq, like Afghanistan for that matter, uh, turning mm-hmm. around and now saying, oh, now we want peace. Yes, of course. Now the Americans want peace. They deposed the democratically led president of Iran in 1952 or three. They deposed mm-hmm. democratically elected uh, presidents everywhere and installed their own dictators, thanks to Kissinger et al. And and now they want to talk about peace. And they're agreeing to reduce their military weaponry, put a freeze on all arms sales across the world, and even reduce their nuclear armaments. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is this our opportunity to attack them? That's my question to you. (laughs) How do you deal with that scenario? Meaning that if we put out the peace offering, you know, the olive branch, how do yeah. we um, address the, uh, the, the charge that we're inviting an attack? Well, I, and, the blow, not... and the blowback from the consequences of our mm-hmm. century-long oh, yeah. uh, waging war wherever we, it would benefit uh, what is called national yeah. security, which is just another way, right. way of saying multi-corporate benefit. Great. So let me say first, let me answer that part about the credibility. You know, just remarkably enough, and and I think this is because of the irrepressible spirit of the American people and and the image the world has of us as the Mm -hmm. center of democracy and so on, and maybe our arts and, and the multicultural vitality of our, you know, of our community and our music and all that, the world likes us a lot. And, and I, I just have the, you know, the uh, interesting experience of going to uh, Moscow to be a part of a, um, uh, you know, a, a program that was hosted by RT, you know, their, their, their TV station, which, you know, it takes the Russian government to, to like have an open media here in the U S there are a few ironies out there. Um, but (laughs) I know I've been on it. I know. I had a chance to meet with a lot of, um, you know, uh, foreign, um, you know, uh, elected officials uh, and, and a lot of Russians, both elected ones and just everyday people. And they are, they were blown away because uh, this, you know, the, the, we were talking about the difficult stuff at this conference, you know, and what the yeah. name we give to our foreign policy 
or our solution to uh, ISIS is a peace offensive. We're not talking about lying, you know, lying down and rolling over. We're talking about a peace offensive, actually doing stuff to make this happen. And they were so overjoyed to hear it. So, you know, I have to say that they are ready for a new relationship with the U.S. They've become incredibly, you know, cynical about the leadership that we have, but they were, you know, they rolled out the red carpet for us all over the place. I couldn't yeah. believe the way I was treated as a presidential candidate for the Green Party, the way, the respect I was accorded in Russia, oh, you know, uh, just like, uh, would that was would be here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't happen I'm so here. glad so to hear that. I just want to say this underscores why we need a regime change in this country so that we can move yeah. forward. And what we're talking <laughs> about is not just making peace, but actually demilitarizing jointly our budget yeah. so that we can all put our dollars where we need to put them, which is into fighting climate change and creating real yeah. security uh, at home. China is struggling. Russia is struggling. You know, the U.S. is struggling. The three big players here you know, and especially I would say China, you know, which is dealing with all these devastating consequences from uh, from climate and uh, and from fossil fuel. Russia is as well, but more from the fossil fuels than from the climate, although they had a massive, you know, drought not all that long ago. So yes. you know, everybody's being impacted yes. and those impacts are going to get worse. So I think, you know, if we if we just start doing the right thing, we have enormous moral authority and visionary um, momentum to just bring the rest of the world community with us. We need to step up to the plate as a member and a leader of the global community. We need to become a superpower of human rights and, uh, oh you know, and, and international law uh, because it will save our necks and it will save their necks. When we did this stuff, we actually moved forward you know, on nuclear disarmament. When we were talking to North Korea, uh, things were working well. When we began to demonize North Korea, they started, you know, going off the deep end. And the same is Absolutely. true with Russia. We've really been trying to provoke this uh, latest nuclear arms race because it's great for our, our weapons industry. But Russia doesn't want this. They've been trying to get us back to the table on nuclear disarmament for a long time. We've made real progress in Iran. Um, ironically, you know, that's the one place we decided to negotiate. Why? Because yeah. uh, Russia humiliated John Kerry, <laughs> you know, and John Kerry said, oh, you know, um, let's see. Oh, no, actually, I'm you mean I'm around the Ukraine that with, uh, with Syria. Um, yeah, well, actually, it was the Syria oh, bombing yeah. uh, and getting yeah. rid of the nuclear weapons. But the point is the same. Uh, rather, the yeah. chemical weapons. Uh, we were going to bomb Syria because of the chemical weapons and Kerry. Yeah, made the, the red line in the, the of, line of, in the sand, so to speak. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He sort of mused out loud, oh, how could we, you know, how could we, uh, I don't know of any way around this. And the Russian foreign minister piped up and said, I know a way around this. We can just sit down and negotiate. And they did. And they <laughs> That's <You> right. <laughs> Remember that? It how novel a thought. How novel. <laughs> yes. And then right. on, on Iran, too, we could have gone down the wrong road, but we didn't. You know, we went down the right road. So we have not seen the limits. You know, there's no ceiling here. Uh, we could actually get to a world that we can survive in, you know, an America and a world that works for all of us, that puts people, planet, and peace over profit. Um, that world uh, is, not, you know, is within our reach. And the power to create that world is not in our hopes, is not in our dreams. It's right here and now in our hands. And we can make it so, and we can push forward in this election, 
and make incredible things happen. There was a rebellion going on out there. And as the Democratic Party uh, continues, you know, it's uh, underhanded back, you know, stabbing in the back that it's doing of the Sanders campaign, we're going to see these possibilities grow for real principled independent politics in a party that's not going to devour it, that doesn't fake left and then move right. We have a party which actually supports the principles of this kind of a revolutionary campaign. So I encourage people to get involved. Let's use the power that we have right now at the time that we must move forward. This is a Hail Mary moment. We can make it happen. I Forget agree. the lesser evil. We've got to fight for the greater good like our lives depend on it because they do. Absolutely. Wow. Hallelujah, as we say in Chinese. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, if, since you've circled back to Bernie, I'm going to pose the question I asked at the beginning, which is, in the event that something precipitous happened right here in New York, uh, wherein Bernie uh, was not deep-sexed, but actually, despite all odds, uh, came out uh-huh. on top or close to on top with delegates uh, per the system in New York, and went on to actually, there's uh, a lot of discussion on different news channels, in fact, including Fox, one of the few times I've enjoyed listening to Fox when they're talking about the FBI's um, work being done on the emails and Benghazi vis-a-vis Hillary Clinton, Mm -hmm. Um, and that that is something that is like a giant looming in the background that could really finish off her campaign. It's all a question of time and will, etc. It's interesting. I'm not going to go further with that, but let's just say, Jill, that Bernie were to actually win the nod and the nomination. Would you consider... If he were to offer you, because you got hold of his email and phone number and you could talk to him directly, um, be (laughs) willing to – anyone of you out there who knows Bernie that well, please step forward. Uh, Would you, if offered, uh, accept uh, his vice – the role of vice president for Bernie Sanders? Would you consider that? Let me say nothing. I'm not asking you to say yes or no. I'm asking would you consider it? Oh, I, yes. I mean, I, nothing is off the table here. Um, okay. I think it's really important for us to think outside the box. I Indeed. think it's much more likely that the inverse situation uh, could actually um, come to pass. And and I think all of these possibilities should be on the table. We're I understand. In other words, that you would be president and, and next him to be vice president. Is that it? Uh, that is one of many uh, possibilities, and I, you know, I, I think. Uh-huh. What's that? I, I think there I are said many co-president. It's happened before, <laughs> not in the United States, but it's happened in other countries. Yeah. No, please. Uh, I'm, I am, I'm inviting would, you to brainstorm. Yes, uh, I think there are many ways. There are many solutions that would have to be explored. But the critical thing, you know, there are rules that the parties have, et cetera, um, and so there might be some options that are more possible than others. But all would need to be explored and deserve to be explored. The key, the weak link, because, you know, the Green Party has been trying to get in touch with Bernie for a long time, and Bernie is a team player, and right now he's on the wrong team. Um, yes. But if at any point he became open 
to actually considering really independent politics. Um, I think the possibilities would be not just life-changing. I think they would be earth-changing. Hmm. I got it. Okay, good. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I like your openness. I think it's the type of a mindset to have at a time like this where everything really is precipitous and the pendulum is swinging in several different directions. No one thought, for instance, <laughs> that Donald Trump would ever, you know, get out of his penthouse apartment this far. You know, no one mm-hmm. ever thought that he would attain this level. And by the way, including him, I, I, I really yeah. believe that. I think he's as shocked as anyone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so I'd like to ask you if I can take another few more minutes because we've gone international and foreign policy and just to come back home. One of the uh, contentious issues at every election cycle, oftentimes a Republican subject, is that of taxes. How do you see mm-hmm. that? How do you see the uh, role of the IRS and the current tax structure? What would you like to do if you had your druthers to modify or change that? Well, you know, the very clear, unfortunate trend over the past many decades uh, has been to, uh, you know, raise taxes on everyday people through property tax and sales tax and in particular, uh, and to lower taxes on the wealthy, lowering the yes. upper brackets of the income tax, which you know, under Eisenhower was in the 80 and 90 percent. Under Reagan, I think mm-hmm. it was up in the 70 percent. You know, and Clinton likewise. You know, it's it, in the U.S. We've been dedicated. Well, it started to, to drop at least under Clinton down to 30, 35 percent. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not exactly know, and sure. Now that, but... Right, I think it was after Clinton, if I'm not mistaken, that it actually went down. To where it is now. Well, then you had Probably. Bush, of course, and and Bush brought right. it down further. And Obama made Bush's temporary tax cuts permanent. You know, so this has been That's a bipartisan right. enterprise. And not only did they lower the top bracket of the income tax, they also reduced the aristocracy tax, that is the inheritance tax that was intended mm-hmm. to keep us from becoming an aristocracy. You know, they've almost done away with the aristocracy tax, and that needs to, you know, that needs to be brought back. Um, And, uh, you know, capital gains as well, you know, needs to be taxed like income, in my view. Um, So there are ways that we can ask those who are benefiting the most from this system to start putting back in. And likewise, we need to take steps to prevent the offshoring uh, of wealth and fortunes, you know, through these offshore um corporations. I know. How would you how that, would you do that? I mean, of course that, the appeal of Ireland and other uh offshore uh nations are that they have an exceedingly low corporate tax rate and they do everything they can to woo US companies there. Including Halliburton, which I think is uh in the United Arab Emirates. It's um, it's made its wealth from uh, you know, treating the United States government as a cash register, and now it doesn't pay any U.S. Mm-hmm. taxes. Go ahead. Yes, and let me so just say that there are solutions to do this. None of this, none of this is rocket science. You know, all of this is eminently yeah. solvable. 
whether it's that uh, we have a tax on, on foreign earnings, we can do that to compensate. We could also work with other countries to establish a floor. Um, we can eliminate the tax havens that are taking place right here in our own country. And we can also mm-hmm. require basically that tax Good havens, um, right now we, we enable them by allowing, uh, allowing jurisdictions around the U.S., like Delaware, for example, in Nevada, where it's really easy to set up uh, uh, shell foreign corporations where the beneficiaries are not known. So by eliminating that potential to set up uh, shell corporations, we bring that money and those fortunes back into uh, the real economy and the taxable economy instead of you yes. know, establishing these centers of tax evasion. Um, So this isn't rocket science. What it takes is people in Congress who are working for us, you know, the everyday people. And that's why, you know, I think it's just really important. Political parties are where we come together um, and not allow ourselves to be divided up into a thousand different particular issues. The particular issues are very important, but if we allow ourselves to focus only on those issues and not to be part of a broader movement, a social movement with a political voice, then we are divided and conquered. But if we come together for a broader agenda of people, planet, and peace over profit, which really unifies all of these issues, you know, then we are an unstoppable force. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, I so sadly we've run out of time, and I really would like to invite you back because obviously we're trying to solve, even though it's not rocket science, it takes a while to provide <laughs> solutions and the mindset which underlies all of it. You know, it's funny. If you change yes, the yeah. mind a wee little yes, bit exactly. and allow trust to flow, right, Then and yeah. for profit not to be the reptilian brain um, exp- highest expression, <laughs> but love and you know a little equanimity. Um, we would have an entirely different world just based on those few words. So um, I, I really very much appreciate the point that this isn't rocket science. There's a, a fundamental human simplicity that provides solutions to a lot of what feel like insurmountable problems. And I think that's a very sane perspective. Uh, Nonetheless, it's nice to kind of flesh out the details of what it would look like and what a Jill Stein presidency would look like. I think that's an image and a vision I want to further emblazon on the the American (laughs) mind and heart both. Uh, I think it's a very, very healthy one, not to mention you're a physician, so I I think all of it's very, very useful. Um, What words would you like? Would you you come back on so we can carry on this conversation? Sure, I I would love to, and we can, I can put my, uh, you know, my press people um, in touch with you again, and we can set up more time and I would love it. It's been really delightful talking with a fellow uh, traveler in the world of um, what shall we say, political medicine. Where political we, medicine, you know, political healing. Political absolutely. medicine. Psychosocial and exactly. political healing. Absolutely. Exactly. In closing, Jill, please give our audience your, uh, your website and the way they can touch base and learn more about the Green Party, your presidency, and if they so opt to get behind you. Wonderful. So 
you can go to jill2016.com. That's the website. Um, if you do social media, if that's your preferred communication, we have a very active Twitter um, account at uh, Dr. Jill Stein, and that's DR with no period, so DR Jill Stein. And same thing for Facebook. And, you know, join the team. Come on board, especially if you are a young person or you know young people who are in debt. This is salvation, nothing less than that. And it's something we could actually achieve, not just in our lifetime, but this year we could actually make it happen. So get the word out. We have people, um, you know, who are uh, signing up to set up campaign chapters, uh, especially on campuses, at high schools, and other places to set up campaign chapters to help get the word out. So you can be a part of this, uh, of this work if you are part of the Bernie revolution. It doesn't have to end. Many of our supporters are also Bernie supporters, and they're, you know, they're, they're ready with Plan B when, when, when um, the Democrats continue to knock down Bernie, this revolution is not going to stop. It's only going to get bigger. And, you know, we are here to take our future back together and use the power that we have for people, planet, and peace over profit. Uh, We are an unstoppable force. So let's make it happen. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Jill Stein, thank you so much for being on, and I'll be speaking to you again soon. I think this kind of energy and momentum is very useful for our entire country. So thank you again. A real pleasure. Thank to you, you so much, Mitchell. It's always a pleasure to talk. We'll talk soon. Great. Good. Thanks. Absolutely. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Oh, uh, yes. Dr. Jill Stein, uh, presidential candidate of the Green Party. I so appreciate her enthusiasm, her clarity of mind and heart, very honestly, this is a very humane matter, folks. And I think everyone here knows it, that uh, humanity gets eclipsed by profiteering. And so goes the Green Party phrase of basically people and planet and peace before profit. I love it. I used the phrase I didn't have peace in there, but it's sort of implied. Um, so many times in my teaching and my work here at A Better World, it's so fundamental. And uh, I really do believe it's a, it's a shift of uh, what part of the brain is dominant, what, and part of the brain system is actually the heart. It's an electrical powerhouse. And when it is thinking, we have a better world. It's just true. We know that the heart contains some 30 to 40,000 neurons in it, and it is its own independent brain. Not completely everything is interdependent, but within the structure of the larger systems, it does have the ability to think that our indigenous forefathers and mothers have been trying to teach us, slow as we are to learn about for a long time, like thousands of years. Yes, like thousands of years. So it was a real pleasure to speak with Joe Stein and bring forward to all of you another view, another perspective, another real rich, concrete possibility for what our body politic could look like if we were power, as she so well put it, back and feel powerful instead of powerless. I love that phrase. 
and it's just a question of remembering who we are most fundamentally and uh, really stepping up to the plate. That's what we need. As uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson said, as I quote fairly regularly, we all took different boats here, but we're all in the same boat now. So we better start paddling together, my friends, and see what kind of magic we can create in this very interesting political time frame. Uh, It's not over. There's a lot that is cooking behind the scenes and under the uh, level of ordinary consciousness. A lot is happening. As Jill Stein said, there is a revolution taking place. And first, it's got to be a revolution, I believe, of the heart and the mind to really allow ourselves to see the terror of the situation, the tragedy with which we are living that our money is going to a killing machine. I mean, many of us have been upset about this for decades, and now we have some candidates, Jill Stein and I will say uh, Bernie Sanders, who are seeking to stand up to that kind of power. It's only economic power. It's not more. And that's a very important point to make. Money is not everything. Money is not God. Perhaps we are, and we are bigger than it when we stand up. Go Friendly is way more profitable, interestingly enough, than being the opposite, the inverse, which we've been for centuries. And he also more recently wrote Blessed Unrest. And it's so much about the small organizations sometimes just two people, up to 2,000 or more, who are on the ground across the world doing remarkable things to help implement solar, wind, geothermal, hydroelectric, micro-hydroelectric, that is, without the need for damming. And I can talk to you more about that another time, and will, and have, uh, about moving us into a new paradigm of thinking of sustainability. This is what is before us. And governments are actually far lagging behind the will and the interest and the excitement of the people. Social enterprise movement is huge. That's people who are interested in business and even in profit but using it in such a way as to be of common public benefit, not just self-enrichment. So this is what I'm talking about, of the change of heart and the change of mind. I personally like the profit system. It's a question I asked Jill at the very beginning. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem in the way it is utilized and the excesses and the greed with the, which is pathology squared, that we have to do something about. The not taking proper care of one's employees, one's staff, one's women, one's children, one's planet. This is the problem where money becomes the god and profit at all costs. No, no, no. That's an abuse 
of a system. That's an abuse. Profit back in to the common good. So uh, I'll talk about that another time. Meanwhile, I just want to encourage you all to go to the Green Party website, jill2016.org, and learn more about it and really explore her candidacy and the fundamentals of the Green Party. Because if you're at all for Bernie, you'll be even more turned on by what you see there. So uh, I want to just thank you all for listening. As always, visit us at www.abetterworld.tv. Let me know your thoughts, your comments at mjr at abetterworld.net. My direct email, mjr at abetterworld.net. And I so appreciate your feedback. Also remember that we are a nonprofit 501c3. What keeps us on the air is your help and your donations, i.e. your investment in a better world. That's what we all want. So with that, thank you again. Visit us at our website and also for uh, private consultations, either uh, personal or business, go to www.mitchellrabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L. R-A-B-I-N.com and understand the healing work and the creative solution work I'm involved in through that website. Thanks again and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Mm-hmm.